1: dear listener, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to episode number seven of The Pursuit Pod. I'm Lauren Wood, and this is where I chat with artists abroad about the pursuit of their creative careers. On this week's show, we are off to Japan, specifically to Universal Studios Japan, where my mate Casey Martin has been working as an entertainer and we sat down together to discuss everything that's been happening on his end since we last worked together back at uni in Oz. Casey is nothing short of a little ray of sunshine on this earth and his energy and outlook on life has always been a big part of what I love about him. And sure enough, that attitude has served him well whilst working in a very foreign country and exploring his first professional contracts as a performer. It was heartwarming to hear of how this young man's fantasy of one day working with a company he has always admired has finally come true. And I have to say, listeners, after the last few eps where we've dove into some pretty heavy issues, today's chat is an absolute breath of fresh air. Casey has been back and forth to Japan a couple of times now, working with two different companies and hence has also experienced the weirdness of returning home after living a very intense but exciting life abroad and experiencing the feelings that can come from this. But despite how hard he has to work, his management of injuries and the fear of being away from the Australian scene and losing touch with networks back home... This beautiful human, who I am lucky enough to call a friend, remains positive and excited about the life he gets to lead. And I hope that his story provides a little bit of escapism for you, just as he does for his audiences at work. So settle in, folks. I hope, like me, you get a big, stupid grin on your face whilst listening to this story of someone literally living out their dreams. So, without further ado, let's get to it. and welcome to the podcast! I'm here
0: and I'm so happy! Thank you for Yay. inviting me.
1: How are you doing man? How are you feeling?
0: I'm feeling great. I worked today and now it's mm-hmm. my weekend so I'm feeling spectacular.
1: Hala! Are you working like six day weeks, five day weeks? What's your schedule like?
0: I work five on two off so it's basically a mm-hmm. you know the average nine to five kind of job but with more involved in the middle. That's all.
1: Yeah. As we said, a lot more physical, (laughs) a lot more emotionally demanding with our type of work. I'm just so keen to catch up with you, Case, because I haven't seen you in so long since we were back in Brisbane together. And uh, you're actually my first interview from... Japan so you're giving me some real international cred here.
0: <laughs> Look out we're going international with the podcast. <laughs> uh,
1: what well, is the time on your end?
0: The time here is eight thirty-nine at the moment so I believe we're about an hour behind uh, where Australia is at the moment.
1: Yeah yeah it's just past 11 a.m here so we've got a good nine hours difference between us.
0: <laughs> but we made it work so We made it work.
1: And, yeah, you know, life just gets, uh, well, you know, more specifically maintaining relationships over a long distance can get a bit trickier when you're managing a time difference. But it must be something that you've had a fair bit of practice with now. How long have you been living over there in Japan?
0: So, uh, including my first contract, this will be just over two years of living in Japan with a little 10-month break back to Australia in between. But, yeah, so... All in all, since moving to Japan the first time, it's been three years.
1: So you and I must have left Brisbane around the same time then, 2018?
0: Yeah, I think we had both just finished Showcase for Mm -hmm. our third year, and then a few months later we'd both run away. (laughs) (laughs) Escaped. (laughs) Escaped. (laughs) Run away to the dark side.
1: Uh, which means I have completely missed this exciting chapter of your life. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity today to hear what you've been up to, because not only has your job taken you overseas and given you this completely new world experience, but it's also your first big contract and really your first big break into the professional industry. Could you just explain your role for us and what exactly you're doing with Universal Studios Japan?
0: so at the moment with the company uh so due to um due to contract details i can't explicitly say what i do and what show i do in the park but i can reveal Fair that enough. i am a singer in the park contracted as a singer and i sing and perform for guests every day
1: and is that as a uh, well, I mean, I respect that. If you can't mention anything about the specifics of your job, that's fine. But do you, do you work as a face character as well? Or are you mostly doing the performance, like the show stuff at USJ?
0: For USJ, I only do the show stuff. But yes, back on my first contract, I was doing a lot of face, which was with the other company. <laughs> we'll, well, we'll refer to them as the Castle Park.
1: Fair enough. That's fine. And uh, okay, cool. I actually hadn't realized that you had changed contracts and changed companies completely that's really interesting but can you take us back to the process you went through in getting your first job when did you first audition
0: so my very first audition that landed me the job in Tokyo the first year would have been from memory I think it would have been September in 2017 I (laughs) did just an open cattle call with the company which is for anyone who's not familiar with uh, how auditions work in the performing world, is quite literally how it sounds. You just get a whole heap of performers in, and they just cut you off one by one until they wind up with a small little group at the end. So I was luckily a part of that little group at the end. We'd gone through um, an initial face call, and then that got whittled down to a dance call, which got whittled down to an acting and improvisation call. And then finally, we wound up with a group of about 13 people or so. And we got told, all right, you might be hired, you might not see you later. And then I waited about a month and had an email pop through. And that was my very first contract offer and told me I was heading over to Japan for a year. And I
1: mean, a whole month sitting on waiting for that news. That's, that's nerve wracking. Not to mention you can't, you can't really start moving forward with your life in Brisbane terribly much while you're sitting there waiting for further information on an audition. How was that month waiting for the call?
0: (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I left for work and returned home every day a little bit disappointed if I only got an email from like Domino's or bloody MyGov had sent me something in my inbox every day. (laughs) And yeah, it was just a lot of sitting around and wondering, should I take this next opportunity? Should I be looking for something else along the way? And a lot of performers in our field will always will be doing four or five different auditions at once and might be waiting to hear back from two of them at once. So yeah, it was just that weight of hoping that one of these things that I'd applied for might come to fruition. And... That was the one I wanted the most because I'd grown up loving Japan and I would studied Japanese in high school. So I was like, what if? What if that would be wonderful if I got to go there of all places? like, Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's a, <laughs> so harrowing. It's a long I, month. It's a, a month long, a very, very long, long month. Time
1: to be <laughs> and you say that like some performers uh, are lucky enough to be juggling perhaps a couple of auditions a month or what, you know, to have other things on their plate that will distract them. But unfortunately in Brisbane there are not there are not multiple (laughs) auditions per month hence why so many Brisbane performers move down to Sydney and Melbourne and like us have gone overseas there's not a lot of auditions.
0: No it's really disappointing to be honest in Brisbane because most if not all of the biggest productions don't even come to Brisbane when they do their auditions they tend to stick to just Sydney and Melbourne and if you get the very off chance that one comes to Brisbane, it's always exciting because it means you don't have to jump on a plane and just hope that the $300 plane fare was worth it. But I am really hoping that in the future Brisbane becomes a little bit more artsy. Like we're starting to see a little bit of it it now with the new theatres that's going to open with QPAC and yeah, it's just...
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exciting. There's a new theatre being built within QPAC but I mean also it's being built within QPAC which is already the established performance venue in Brisbane (laughs) like we still are lacking more venues more independent venues and we've got a lot of independent companies that have uh, slowly been building in the city I know you got to do Yank with Woodward Productions.
0: Yes oh I loved Yank such a wonderful experience and see that's like I think that's one thing that people don't often talk about when they do things like cruise contracts or if they move overseas is that your presence from the scene wherever you came from then disappears because people don't get to see you what you do anymore and the most that they'll see is maybe if you have some videos from the job you're doing on your contract that you can possibly put online but even just the other day I got a message from someone who didn't realize I had I had moved and they were asking me if I was available for a show and I had to say Sorry, I'm still actually in Osaka at the moment. (laughs) But they're always understanding, which is wonderful. But it's, yeah, your presence really disappears from the scene and it's so hard to get back into it when you return.
1: In an industry that in our hometown especially is really based on networking, uh, yeah, to uproot yourself and to leave all that networking behind is is very daunting and that's exactly what you did with taking this contract. So when it came to packing up your life and actually embarking on the trip over there, how were you feeling and and what was the process in getting yourself ready for that?
0: So one of the first things that I had to think about in terms of it was, would I be better off staying in Australia and trying to find work here? And would the job availabilities? be better for me in Australia than they would be for me over, overseas. And that, to be honest, is always such a gamble because when you've got a year like this year where everything happened to just hit the fan immediately as soon as yeah. the year started, it turned out to be a very lucky break that I'd moved here because we were lucky enough that the park was still running while we were here. So there was there was that question, but then there was also the question of, uprooting my life here so taking everything that I wanted and downsizing everything and putting a heap of it in a storage container somewhere in Brisbane and just packing your entire life down into a 30 kilogram package is very daunting
1: and and you hadn't moved out of home yet had you so I mean not to have even gone through the moving out of home is that correct you were still with the the parents
0: yeah so when I yeah on the on the initial contract, I was still definitely living living with my parents, um, so that was the very first time out of home.
1: That's a that's a good thing in the end, since you <laughs> so quickly have landed a contract overseas. I mean, it's a good thing that you hadn't been wasting your money on bond and rent and moving out and doing all those sort of life things. It worked out, I guess. But that's a that's a big step to
0: take yeah it's a huge step for for never having lived out of home by yourself to suddenly living out of home by yourself in another country which was it was a huge step but I was really excited for it at the time for sure and looking back I think I'm surprised I wasn't more scared to be honest i was I was weirdly excited to be living by myself, and it didn't get to me as much as I thought it would. So fabulous. I'm grateful for that in that respect.
1: And it must have just felt like this whole new world when you got off the plane on the other end. What were some of your first impressions of Japan?
0: I remember the very first thing I, actually, yes, yeah, the very the very first thing that happened when I got to Japan. So, I didn't realize what the process was when you became a citizen, so uh, not a citizen, rather a a resident of Japan. So what they do is when you get to the airport, you get put into a separate line in the airport and they take you to a little room and print out what's called a residence card in Japan. and that's that works as like your ID for being in Japan. and you should always have it with you but i didn't realize that was the process so i was just in line like everyone else going through customs and suddenly they whisk me away into a room by myself and let me tell you i was like what am i going to tell the company oh they're going to they think i have drugs they think i have something <laughs> illegal in my bag oh no this is awful and there's me going through everything i packed into my bag that day that could resemble something illegal And so I'm just waiting for them to tell me that I'm being shipped back to Australia. And then they just say, here's your residence card. Off you go. And (laughs) they just hand me this little card with my name on it and my photo and breathe the biggest sigh of relief. I mean, are
1: they, they're all speaking in Japanese, I assume. You said you studied Japanese, but how fluent were you in the language when you arrived?
0: Not very. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Um, Luckily, the people at the office spoke English, so I wasn't. In, t- in the dark totally, but it was still very harrowing just having Japanese people running around you and not telling you why you're in the room you're in. I soon learned that that's just a Japan thing. In Japan, it's just a very common thing for several people just to run around you all the time and not tell you what's going on until the last minute. That's just Japan
1: Fast paced population.
0: Very fast (laughs) paced. But yeah, straight after that, what happened? So after that, yeah, the initial experience was just hopping into a taxi. And then I arrived at about 9 PM at night. I think I arrived at the accommodation that the performers live in and they were, they just said, here's your room and gave me a little key. And then I just sat in this hospital bed, like room that was completely empty and devoid of emotion for a little while. And I was like, I'm in Japan. This is crazy. And the first thing I did was took a photo of a selfie on the balcony and posted it on Instagram, as you do.
1: <laughs> it always amuses me to look back on the first few photos that you take when you're in a new country. I have this shitty photo I took out my bedroom window of the ridiculously small Airbnb I stayed in on my very first <laughs> night here. And it's literally just a picture of rooftops. But in my mind they were just the most english looking rooftops there's a little chimney and looking out i was just like oh my gosh i have arrived i look back on that photo now i'm like what the hell is that it's <laughs> but you are you're just you're in this even when things go wrong or badly, as stressful as they can be, it's um, it's just amazing to be in such a new world and with the promise of work as well. You must have been very excited. It was
0: incredible just looking out. Like I had, the, I had a very similar experience to what you just said. Like I, I remember just looking out and seeing like, rows upon rows of these tiny little apartments, and there were, like, this faded yellow. There was palm trees everywhere because, like, this was, like, an island that we're on, and so I was, like, this is Japan! Wow! Look at this! This is amazing! I'm gonna take a photo! And I look back at it now, and I'm, like, these are yellow buildings, Casey. These are pale, off-yellow buildings. <laughs> there was nothing exciting about this. But at the time, I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread.
1: And just the architecture I can imagine is is just so different to what we have back home with big Queenslanders. We have very – very big houses and large blocks of land that we live on back home. We have front yards, backyards, patios, underneath areas, and then to move to a country that is so populated like Japan. I assume it's similar to here in that a lot of people are living in apartments and very, very small spaces. I can, I would have taken the same pictures, mate. Don't worry.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think the first things that definitely caught my eye was how compact everything was because, like you said, there's – space for days in australia but everyone is space saving in japan every single aspect of it they've got some kind of space saving feature in it and that applied to buildings it applied to the Seven Elevens, which there's 400 of on the same street. They they love their the convenience stores here. They're called combini here. Combini <laughs> is their official name. So mm-hmm. um you you can walk down any street and find three or four combini owned by different companies there. And yeah, just how compact everything is, but how okay everyone is with it as well. They'll just walk down the street and they won't bat an eye that you're like this close to each other on the train truly like sardines like that all those videos you see online of Japanese trains and everything it's spot on that's exactly what it's like that 8am train
1: and and so then when you started your work then with the aforementioned castle park as we'll call it tell me about starting (laughs) tell me about starting the job and all about that
0: so I remember that very first day because like, the Castle Park. Huge, huge company. Everyone knows about it. It's It was so, so surreal, I think. Just, one, knowing that i I found employment as a performer, which was absolutely mental to think that, like, ten-year-old me was there going, I'm gonna be an actor one day, and then this was the reality of it later, saying, like, wow, I'm doing it! Look at this! Like, someone's paying me to, like, be stupid, basically, and wear a hat. (laughs) This is going to be wonderful.
1: And to be working in this place that you've looked up to for you. We don't have any castle parks back in Oz. So it's like, (laughs) it, it absolutely must be fulfilling that little childhood dream. And on your very first day, was there a training process? Or yeah, how did they look after you in such a foreign country training for the job?
0: So the good thing about these big companies is that, and that's, translated the same to my current company as well, as that they'll have translators on board at all times with you, but also a lot of people will know English, which is great, and they'll always be there to kind of guide you through it. But that very first day, I remember there was a lot of just orientation. It was all like, welcome to the country, we're going to get this bank stuff sorted for you, this is, this is this, and this, and this is how taxes work, and like this is how you'll get to work every day and it wasn't until about a week in when we really started doing the actual job which was like actually rehearsing for the job and that whole experience of learning the official way to do this the characters and the face work was ah uh, it's just it still gives me chills the way that there was just so much passion for it and the way that the that the instructors would teach you how to do everything There was so much passion behind it, and they would tell you stories about why they do what they do, and it all just became very real, and what our kind of work does for people, especially this year when we're in such a touch and people-deprived state at the moment. It was amazing to see what our line of work does for people, and at the time, of course, we didn't know that 2020 was coming, but... Even still now, just performing, it, seeing that passion for it backstage was what keeps me going a lot of the time.
1: Infectious, it sounds like.
0: Very, very infectious. And that was the whole company, which was so wonderful. You could see it through everything that they did.
1: And I mean, your job compared to previous performance work where you've been on a stage with your audience at a distance from you, you're working as a face character primarily. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, uh, and involved with meet and greets and parade work, but you are a a lot closer to your audience than you are when you're on a stage. Let's just talk about that job now, working as a face character and how you found that being the first time that you've done that kind of work.
0: So face character work, I think, has been some of my favourite work because I, first and foremost, one of my favourite things to do is improvisation. And that's like the pinnacle of improvisation is throwing on someone else's character and having to think on the fly as them, which was so challenging, but so rewarding when you saw people's responses to you. So, and the closeness, there was absolutely no way you could fake anything because they were this close to you at all times. So you were really always put on the spot. And for these people, the characters that they were meeting, that's actually, sorry, tangent, There's a, there's a that's a huge thing about Japan, is actually, the suspension of disbelief with Japanese people is incredible. Like, once you put them in a theme park setting, they're willing to believe pretty much anything you throw in front of them. Like, their suspension of d- disbelief is so high. So, these people would come in, they would love these characters, they would have grown up with seeing these movies, and they would do just about anything to get in and see you and they would be so happy if you picked them and like grabbed their hand and spun them around or something and called them princess or just all the things that you could do and i think this was truly a highlight for me was just seeing the happiness that you brought to people through that face character kind of work
1: and especially in as you've described it a country that seems really compact really busy everyone's on top of each other the the tempo is quite high paced everyone's working really really hard and these parks obviously provide a form of escapism for people when they come to visit and it's not just for children it's for families of all ages and to be part of that experience for people literally providing them an escape from the hustle and bustle and just something to make them smile it's joyous work
0: yeah truly because japan as a culture which i'll come back to this in a bit because it does have its downsides as well but japan's work culture is very uh head down do the work don't ask questions so they are very dedicated to their work and it's very admirable. I love I love seeing their work ethic because it's so different to how we treat our work back home sometimes. But yeah, they they're so dedicated to that work to their work that when they go to somewhere like a theme park or go out for dinner or something, they let absolutely loose as people. And it really you can really see it at theme parks in particular. They have the best time. They'll let loose. Like they'll have so much fun when you interact with them and yeah i i found that one of the most the funniest things to me because it's just it's like two different people all the time
1: work hard play hard so they say (laughs)
0: it's that's very true here
1: (laughs) but as you said also so there's downsides to that intense cultural way of life what were some of the downsides that you came across
0: so translated across both companies as well just as a general experience because they're so intense about their work life they don't give much importance to health so much mental health in particular anything like that is kind of just a hindrance to them they don't it's not really an important part of work and they'll like, they'll kind of expect you to work through it a bit. You're expected not to make a big deal out of things like injuries at work or if you're having mental health issues, it's not really a thing you bring up at work. Which is so, so different to how we would deal with things in Australia or perhaps in the UK, you would you would I mean in Australia in particular, you would normally say something like this this is causing us injuries or like this is a, a huge problem for this reason and then the company would be, okay, how can we fix this so that we're not in hot water? But in Japan there's no such thing really. So it that can kind of come at a detriment. And they they also aren't all that savvy with their time off either. Time off for them is like also not really a talked about subject. Like if you get the time off sure, but you're expected to want to come to work all the time. Like why would you be doing anything other than work? And I've talked to some Japanese colleagues, actually, and a lot of the time uh, with like like kind of office buildings and all that kind of uh, company work in Japan, employees are often just expected to go with whatever their boss wants to do. So if the boss, uh, if they want to stay in high standing with their boss, for example, they'll often go out with the boss for drinks after work and they, they'll get absolutely drunk with on beer with the boss and like they might not want to but it's what the boss wants so they've got to stay in good standing with the boss and just to just to get themselves somewhere in their companies so it's it's a very different culture in that respect where there's like so much pressure to do well in your work like you have to work and you have to do it well and I mean if we're being honest I feel like that's where a lot of the mental health issues probably come from as well. Yeah,
1: understandably. And I mean, not only were you learning this job and it was your first experience doing face character work, but how did you go dealing with that kind of work pressure as well as I guess dealing with the monotony that can come from doing that kind of face character work where you are just putting on a smile and being the front man for people, providing all of your energy every single day day in day out often with this theme park work for multiple sessions a day like it's very different to main stage or holiday work shows where you maybe perform a couple of shows a couple of hours a day but theme park work requires you to be out there for really really long hours doing the same thing over and over and over again so how did you manage that
0: I think the most important thing for me when i was doing the sets out on the on the park was to always try and find something new to talk about and to keep it fresh so of course like you have to keep it within the limits of the character that you're playing but finding something different to talk about or something different to do or finding somewhere new to go that you, even though you might be restricted to a small area, you could find a new thing that you haven't normally seen before. And just constantly trying to find something new, I think, kept me going a lot of the time, because you would end up surprising yourself with what you could come up with, and then you would try things, and sometimes it wouldn't work, and then you could laugh about it later and say, well, we just won't do that again. But then it was always, I think, Every time, even if you couldn't think of something new, it was always the guests that I would come back to and say, this is their time to holiday and I'm going to give them that best experience now.
1: That's a fabulous outlook to to <laughs> approach things with. What a, what a joyful approach. But you mentioned, yeah, that contract came to an end eventually or you decided to not continue with the Castle Park after a while. What happened there?
0: So, uh, yes, my contract did end and... I decided not to renew it.
1: Was was it 12 months?
0: It was 14 months all up. So it was from February. It was yeah, February to April kind of deal. And yeah, so the contract ended and we got given the chance to like re-audition and try and go for another year. And I did, but then ended up deciding not to take another year. Like I was ready to go home for a while and put my foot back into the Australian pool again because one thing actually that I found really hard as well that kind of ties into this was that as performers we like to do uh, like dance classes and vocal lessons to keep our skills up but the reality of living in Japan was that the kind of classes we needed were very far and few in between to keep up our performance skills so the the very closest dance class that we had was an hour and a half train away only on one night a week and it was forty dollars so <gasps> per class so and that was for a Broadway jazz class which was the very closest thing I could get to like any kind of performing work that we're used to yeah really or that we did in the park
1: technical so, technical sort of training because that's the thing with with the park work is that it's not It might be physically demanding in that you're doing very long hours. You have to be very emotionally giving and available. But as far as physical technique and for dancing, especially, it's not really fostering that for you.
0: No, it was kind of a, uh, in a sense, the work was a double-edged sword because I got really good with my acting skill. Like my acting skills were always being played on and kept getting better day by day because I was doing that every day. I was playing around with different characters every day, but I was lacking a lot in the vocal and the dance aspect because the very few bits of dance that we did in the shows... We, I, I was actually fortunate enough to be in a couple of the shows as well, but it was very, very basic dancing, so uh, uh, an arm wave here or like a step touch. Not, not enough to keep your technique up, so... I started to really notice after a year how much my skills in singing and dancing had gone down. And so I decided that when I came back to Australia, I was going to jump right back into classes and try to get lessons again so that I could build that back up and be ready for new contracts or whatever, whatever was to come for that year.
1: Yeah. And yeah, as you say, just to have some time back home, it seems that you were in need of that after fourteen months away.
0: Yeah. I'm not gonna lie though. The first two months, I mean being back, I fell into a very depressive state. I was just kind of so used to the the life that I'd been living, and now I didn't have a job anymore and I didn't have like, all these performers around me at all times and I didn't have the magic anymore and I was like, what do I do with my life now? And I think that thing that saved me and pulled me out of that was going back into classes again because that brought some kind of um, routine back into my life and that was when I started really stepping up my game again. I was like, okay, I've got a game plan. I'm going to keep going and now I'm going to try and get work. So... And that was when I got yanked, so it was worked out well.
1: Fabulous. Couldn't have come at a better time.
0: <laughs> it was really perfect timing.
1: Yeah. Did you have enough financially to keep you going from your Japan work? Did you have to go back into part-time work in Oz during that time, or were you able to keep yourself afloat?
0: Luckily, I was able to live quite comfortably because I made a point of saving most of what I'd made overseas, and that was a wonderful thing about it was that I didn't have to spend a lot of money while I was over there because the company takes very good care of you. So it was wonderful to be able to come back to Australia and kind of explore my own thing for a while without having to worry about money. Yeah. But by about September I ended up in a teaching job <laughs> to to kind of keep the, the funds going for a while. But
1: I know a lot of our friends struggle with the fact that between gigs, they have to go back to whatever that retail job is, whatever that hospitality job is, that's keeping them, you know, nothing's going to make you feel shittier about yourself than finishing a fabulous overseas contract and then popping your target uniform back on. It's not what anyone wants <laughs> to do, but teaching works a fabulous fallback for performers and it pays a lot better. Had you done mm, much teaching though?
0: No, see, I'd never actually taught before, but I ended up, a good friend of ours, Meg, uh, she was running away to do her own contract somewhere and they were looking to fill in a spot at a, at a company she was teaching with and they were looking for musical theatre and a tap teacher. So I was like, well, I have experience in both. I've got a musical theatre degree maybe I can do that. So I put my resume forward. Meg put in a great word for me, and so then I was in. I was teaching kids, which was great. Very, very huge learning experience, teaching kids. Bit of a learn on the job, but I, I sat in on a few of Meg's sessions before she left, so I got an idea of what they did in the class, and just formed some some lesson plans from then on. And we were not too bad. (laughs) We did all right. But yeah, it was good to be still kind of practicing because however the saying goes, you, you learn a lot as a teacher as well. Like you learn from your students a lot as a teacher. So I feel like I've butchered that phrase a little bit, but something along those lines.
1: I know exactly what you're talking about. You definitely hone your own skills when you have to focus on them to teach them to somebody else. And I mean... That's a cool thing about teaching, at least teaching performance classes is that you also get to be using your skills at the same time, kind of keeping them in check a little bit, not quite as much as doing your own training, but it's good work Hmm. to fall back on. I'm glad to hear that you had something like that to keep you going and with Yank for that period of time between contracts. But then the next contract did come around. Did you go to another cattle call for that one?
0: Yes. So another cattle call, um, I was looking through the list of online auditions and who was coming around and but yeah so there was the usj website was um was hiring and they were saying we're coming to brisbane and i was like yes brisbane don't have to go anywhere for this one so i booked in my my slot and i hadn't realized that the day that i'd booked in for the singer's audition comic-con was in town and agreed to go to a um, with a group of friends as a group from Shrek 2. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, I've already agreed to this and I've made the costume. Uh,
1: because, of course, that's a huge interest of yours as well. You've got, uh, as well as performing, you've got a real talent for... Fine art, particularly body art and special effects and photography. I know that's been a real passion uh, on the side of your work for you. So, I mean, that's a big thing to miss out on Comic Con for Casey Martin.
0: But, but he did not miss out on it. So, what I did was that morning I was like, okay, game plan, Casey. Here's what we're gonna do. So, I packed the biggest bag that I owned, and I packed first. I I came to The con, the convention rather, in this full outfit from Shrek 2. I was dressed as Kyle, the chauffeur, if anyone is familiar. So I had the outfit on, I had the wig, I'd (laughs) done this, like drawn this mustache onto my face, I was ready to go. I got to the convention and I hung out with my friends for a couple of hours. And luckily, the audition was taking place just across the river over at Mad Dance House. So. (laughs) What I did, I was like, alright guys, I've got to go, so I ran into the bathroom, I got this makeup wipe out, I wiped off my beard and the mustache that I had drawn on myself, I got my hairspray out, I did my hair up nice, and I pulled out the outfit that I'd very carefully rolled up into my massive duffel bag, and (laughs) pulled it out, it hadn't wrinkled, and I was like, excellent, so I put on the whole outfit, made myself look nice, and then stuffed this Kyle outfit into the into this duffel bag with my folder full of sheet music that I had to memorize before the audition. So I, I'm running across the bridge and I'm like, all right, I'm going to make it. So I made it there with about 20 minutes to spare. And I sign in and that was I did the audition. It was a 5-hour audition and my friends were like, "Did you get to the did you get to the next part of the call?" And I'm like, "Guys, I did. I got to the next part of the call." And then I'd message them an hour later and be like, I did it again. I'm in the next part of the call. We're good. And then they're like, so you're coming back? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I can't make it back today.
1: You should have um, just kept your costume on, babe. They might have just hired you on
0: the spot. Look, maybe. If I just, you know, sang a few <laughs> things, showed them I was interested.
1: Here's a character I prepared earlier. I'm a performer
0: uh, and, I, and I like to wear costumes. <laughs> hire me. So, yeah, that was that was the day of the audition, <laughs> which was crazy in thinking about it but
1: it doesn't it doesn't it just prove that it's always (laughs) worth going to the bloody audition even if you've got stuff on even if it's the last thing you want to do in the world you never know what's going to come you've got to keep putting yourself out there and if you'd have never gone to that audition be it that you had to leg it probably in obnoxious heat in brisbane across that bridge to mad dance you went and you got the job and then that started the next chapter of your journey
0: it did and honestly so many good things have happened because of it so i'm glad that i braved comic-con and then ran across that bridge to do the audition so that's the moral of today's story is go to the audition anyway go
1: to the audition yes because nothing happens unless you take the first step which you did and now you've you've embarked on this next leg i want to hear i want to hear about how it's been going for you now on this new contract how long have you been signed on for with this new contract
0: so uh we are in what we're in end of february so this will be 13 months so far of being on this new contract um, luckily, this time because it's Japan again and it's another Japanese company and it's theme park work, kind of went into it knowing what to expect this time. So it was it was a lot easier, kind of fitting in this time, which I was very grateful for. But yeah, very different work this time. So and it's a a much more intensive kind of show. So it's it's very strenuous. It's the the outfit that we have to wear is quite heavy. So
1: and uh, so so you're not just doing face work anymore. You're doing more production stuff
0: now. It's fuller production material work. So now it's a, a particular show, and I'm singing live, and I've got a, like choreography and like set moves and all kinds of things <laughs> to, to uh, deal with this time. So yes, yeah, very different. <laughs>
1: Very different and it must have felt like a nice growth from the original work you've been doing that was mostly just character-based back at the Castle Park to now be doing, like, this this work is more up your alley. This is more like what you've trained in. Yeah,
0: it's funny that the very first job that I got out of uni, despite acting being such a small part of our course, really, like in, in retrospect, going into something that was fully acting and then not doing any of the singing and dancing I've been doing for three years. But yeah, it's, it's great because the problem that I had before of not having dance classes is now kind of negated by the fact that I'm always dancing and I'm always singing now. So, I'm sure maybe now my acting abilities have taken a dip because of that, because I'm not doing that so much anymore. But um.
1: (laughs) I doubt it. They're still there. The talent doesn't disappear, my friend. It's still there. It's just, you know, having a rest at the moment. And it just goes to show, (laughs) it just goes to show why it's so important to have a diversity of skills. That's why I love the training that comes with working in musical theatre, because you not only train in acting, but also in singing and dancing. And ultimately, you know, you just, allowing more opportunity for yourself. When you're not Mm. pigeonholing yourself as a singer, as a dancer, you know, only, you open yourself up to being able to take a lot more jobs. And as you say, this one has been a lot more physical, but with that comes some detrimental stuff as well. I know you've been having knee problems. Mm. Tell me about all that.
0: So yes, wow, (laughs) the knee problems. So one of the downsides to the particular show that I do is that because it's so because of the weight of the costume and the dense heaviness of it, there's almost all of us in the cast have some kind of either back knee or ankle problem, which is an unfortunate side effect of our line of work sometimes. If you're in a very physical show, this can kind of happen. But luckily, we do have an almost full-time physio that works for the company, so we can kind of call on them whenever we need. And we have access to... And another wonderful thing actually about Japan is that their healthcare system is so good that it covers even foreigners, like me, coming into the country and we can get things for the most part for free and just paying for like medications and stuff which are also so cheap. It's just so wonderful to come in and be able to not worry so much about taking care of yourself in that respect. You can get your wisdom teeth removed for like thirty bucks here. <laughs> so Bargain. It's it's mental. It's just it's just crazy. Their health system's amazing, but
1: it doesn't make going through an injury any less stressful. What I know you've said it's happened because of a period of time working this same job. It's it's been a compound of tension mm. that is you know manifested into this injury but was there a day where something just went for you like what have you done to your knee case <laughs> tell me like have you got a diagnosis for it
0: <laughs> so it's been a swollen tendon a lot of the time he's been the doctor told me but the the one time where it really did twinge bad and I actually had to take a day off work for it was he wasn't able to see anything on the x-ray but he saw a small tear on the mri <laughs> so it was a very minor tear, so I just had to take a couple of days off, I think. It was yeah, it's like 1 or 2 days off it was and then I just had to take it easy after that. But yeah, the the good thing is is that our choreographer for the show was very under she's super understanding because she herself is a dancer and has had injuries herself. So she was able to tell us to just change up the choreography slightly so that it'll take a little bit off that knee or swap swap legs on this part so that it's taking a little bit of that tension off your knee. And yeah, a lot of the time you just have to kind of work around it or strap your leg up and move on with the show. And yeah, you can kind of just get around it. Like For the most part nowadays, my knees aren't so bad, but... 'Cause I, I I wear straps every day now. So yeah. yeah, it's just it's just a matter of kind of compromising where you can and making the best out of the situation.
1: Yeah. But it's frustrating though. And when you've gotten an injury because of a certain job and you're still doing that job day in, day out, I think it's one of the most frustrating things is that you'll probably be nursing that injury maybe until you finish this contract and get to rest it properly like they can get better and you can treat them with strapping and by being mindful and physical therapy and what but gosh yeah you're still having to work through that yeah
0: I definitely won't lie it's not easy because sometimes I kind of get angry and I'm like why do I have to keep like dealing with this leg like I wish we could just like fix it and then you kind of just have to take a step back and say you're doing the best you can with it don't take it so hard on yourself like this is a product of the work you're doing and this also means that you're putting a lot of work in like the way that i like to see it is that i'm putting a lot of effort into my work and although this is one of the things that comes from it you also have people every day that come to your show and love it and you can see their smiling face when you point at them in the audience or you do that cool note at the end of something and you get the applause that you're after. And, you know, all of that kind of combined makes it worth it for me.
1: Amazing, I love your outlook case. It's obvious that you are in the right job and that they have hired the right person for this job. I think your positivity about the whole thing is just admirable. And it seems to have served you well because you've appeared to be building yourself a more well-rounded life over there now. You seem to have a good network of friends. And this second time round, this second contract over there, you're able to have a bit more of a life outside of work.
0: Yeah. And the one thing that I've really loved about this particular group of people that I'm around, uh, the, the house that we live in, is that everyone is so eager to put their own mark out in the world and so there's always someone will be wanting to collaborate. You've got people that'll sing with you at any given chance. You've got people who will put on a dance class just because they want to. You've got people who, some people got me into voiceover work which has been really cool. So A couple of my friends have been coaching me into voice work and I'm now I I now play a character on a very soon coming uh what what do we call it audio drama <gasps> Fabulous. Yeah, my boyfriend has written and produced. So.
1: And you got yourself a boyfriend. yeah?
0: Oh, yes. And I have a boyfriend. So that's another wonderful thing that came from this oh, year. That um, must that,
1: that must make you feel way more at home than you did on your first contract. Are you, are you living in a share house this time around as well?
0: This time around, it's a very similar kind of setup. We're, we all live in one big apartment block. So we've each got a room in this house. But most of the time, I just live in Jamar's room now. I mean at the moment I'm in my own room because I needed the quiet and he's off recording for his podcast at the moment. Handy,
1: you can go and compare notes afterwards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, his his is more fantasy fantasy audio drama. But <laughs> yeah, so we it's just great. He's he's always doing something as well and he's so inspiring because he just doesn't stop. He's always got some project going and to see his creativity is, at work is always so inspiring and I love being part of it sometimes and then at the same time I love seeing the people that he gets in to be a part of his work as well and I think I think he's he's just great he's wonderful
1: (laughs) oh that's so good to see Casey you look really happy in yourself at the moment that's really really just (laughs) Nice. As a friend, I love observing that about you. It's lovely. <laughs> and it, you say you're getting to do a bit of voiceover work. And what, what's that project? I noticed something called The Realm Tree that you had posted on your Facebook. Can you tell me about that?
0: So The Realm Tree is a up and coming audio drama that I'm part of, written and produced by my boyfriend. <laughs> so it at its very basis is about is a story about how fairies get their wings. So Jamar is very into fantasy worlds, like especially fairies, but uh, Dungeons and Dragons. He he loved shows like The Wings Club growing up. Very, very fantasy-esque shows. And so him and one of his best friends, Julian, have written this whole show about how fairies actually earn their wings. So it's like a world where they don't get given them when they're born. Like they actually have to earn them. And this is the story of how it happens. And it's just such a wonderful story and it's taken so many turns and we've we've just done so much work on it and i'm so i'm so excited for it to be released to the world and he is too he's just doing so much work and we're so close to finishing recording we're up to our 30th episode or something now. So Whoa. it's Whoa. we've almost finished the season, so it's going to be great.
1: Incredible. I'll, we-
0: I'll leave the rest of it for him to explain. <laughs>
1: yes, well, I guess, you know what? As far as nominating someone to come on the podcast, we are going to have to chase him up for an interview, I think.
0: I think so. I don't think he has an option anymore. I'm going to be like, you're the next person on the podcast.
1: Because <laughs> where's he from? He's had a very different journey to you.
0: Very different, but at the same time, funny enough we're now kind of along the same path because we're we're both doing the same show and which is great but he is originally from California. He's from from a little town called Fresno, California and then after that he'd been living in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada and he was working as a performer there before coming on over to USJ here at Osaka.
1: Maybe you'll get the chance to go over there someday and explore his world.
0: I would love to but also America needs to Figure out its shit and calm down first. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll stay here until that's until that's done. <laughs> yeah,
1: actually, I'm. I know we're reaching the end of our chat, but how's how's the COVID situation currently? I'm being in England. I'm shocked that you are still working, and that you guys have been uh, so much more active than us. Like, how's it been going with Corona?
0: Believe me, I'm shocked we're still open as well. Um, we are currently still in a state of emergency, so this is our, I think, second state of emergency that's been issued in Japan. But where I think, I think the numbers are actually going down now. But it, about a month or two ago, we were at our highest rate of uh, cases per day, which was mental. It was very high numbers for a while, not as high as like the UK or um, America, but we were still quite high.
1: And were you? on a complete lockdown at that point like when when has your lockdown eased
0: so the country went on kind of a a lockdown for about three months very early on in the contract though i want to say maybe april or so maybe not even then maybe march maybe the end of march we'd just opened our show quite literally had been open for two weeks and then the shutdown happened and so we were off for about i think it was 12 weeks all up about three months and then we went back into rehearsals and then opened the park again, and ever since then we've been back open. Uh, We've just been operating under very strict kind of guidelines now, so there's a lot of COVID prevention measures in place, and the government has issued a lot of things that we have to do now. Like, any restaurant can't open past a certain time now, but yeah, so there's just all kinds of, like, COVID safe things that we have to adhere to now, but... Yeah. We're still open and we're like we're operating under capacity and yeah, so it's been it's been a, a learning curve for sure cuz this is the first time anyone has dealt with this including the company. So, it's all just a lot of playing it by ear day by day and We'll see how it goes, but yeah. we're due to get the vaccine soon in Japan, and it's going to be issued to elderly people and frontline workers first. So
1: fabulous! It's going, um, it's going well hopefully here. Hopefully, soon enough. Yeah, the vaccination rollout's going going really well here. Well, it's it's good to hear that you're safe yes. and that you're still maintaining this beautifully positive outlook on things (laughs) i wish you all the best for the rest of your contract mate and if anyone wants to come and find you doing the realm tree whereabouts will that be published
0: so you're most like hang on i'll find the instagram account for the realm tree so that you guys can all follow Mm -hmm. that and keep up to date but if you want to keep up to date with me you can either follow my instagram which is dolly.mun underscore stupid name and you bear with me
1: no fabulous name (laughs) and you've got one for your you've got one for your artwork as well don't you
0: yes so my artwork page is called adrenaline brush Fabulous. but you can also follow the realm tree at the underscore realm underscore tree on instagram and that will be where the updates for the show will be posted
1: amazing i look forward to listening to it and before we sign off would you have any final words of wisdom to pass on to anyone looking at relocating or embarking on a contract in japan oh
0: last words uh Don't fall into the trap of assuming that you have to stay 100% connected with everyone, because you have your own life, and all of your friends have your own life, and even if you just reach out once in a while, they will appreciate it. You don't have to maintain a tight bond with them when you move overseas, because it's, they dare say nearly impossible too. And I think that's like one major thing that I've learned from being overseas so much, is that you can maintain these friendships with people while, you know, still only maybe talking once in a while, but as long as you just keep that little bit of contact every now and then, you don't have to fall into the trap of worrying that all of your friends will leave you by the time you come back.
1: Yeah, you don't have to put pressure on yourself. Yeah,
0: don't put pressure on yourself to stay as connected as you were when you were able to meet people in person. That's Yeah, I feel like That's how I'll say it.
1: (laughs) Fabulous. Well, thank you, Casey. I have loved hearing your story and I look forward to continuing following you on your journey for this contract and for when the the Realm Tree comes out. So thank you so much.
0: Yay. Thank you. It's been so good to chat.
1: It's been lovely. Enjoy the rest of your night, mate.
0: Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Bye-bye. Ooh. I love him, I love him, I love him. And so does Japan, it seems. What a cute little episode. Casey really reminded me of the power and effect that our work has on our audiences. It's hard work, guys. It's tough on our bodies and at times tough on our emotions. But ultimately, what we get to do is unlike any other job in this world. And it should be joyous, it should be fun. And goodness knows, our world just needs more of that in it. So thank you, Casey. Also, for reminding us of why it's so important to diversify and not pigeonhole yourself as a performing artist. For most people, this really just means that you'll have the skills to tackle whatever work comes your way. And when you're feeling a bit rusty, you just got to get back to class. So thanks for listening, gang. You know the drill. Follow me over on Instagram at the.pursuitpod and like, rate and subscribe to the show wherever you enjoy listening to your podcasts. I'll be back same time next week this time with a director and producer from Brisbane who's going to tell us about what you need to know when taking a show to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. You won't want to miss it. It's very informative for anyone looking at tackling the festival themselves or wanting to know more about what it takes to create and put up your own work. So tune in then, and thanks again for your support. Until next time.